0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, do you open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We are eight days away from finishing a reading of the Bible in six months. And so next Monday, we will conclude um, the book of Revelation. And so I'm excited about that. And there was a lot of reading in the New Testament this week. For those of you who are on track, it's okay if you're not. Bible's not going anywhere. and We got lots of life to live. Somebody say amen. But we have been doing this series, and I've been asking the Lord how and what he wants to speak to our church family. And this morning, he's directed me to Romans chapter 12. It's a lengthy passage of scripture, and it comes to us setting forth a perspective of the world followed by a bulleted list of things we ought to do that will bring about the kind of global transformation that God is after. And so I want to read chapter 12 to you, and then I want us to jump right in. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says, I appeal to you, therefore... So this is in response to 10 chapters of of unveiling God's mysterious purpose in history, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ to bring transformation and new heart and new mind to every person on the planet through faith. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then the bullets begin. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the passage ends in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. May its eternal truth find a home in our hearts. Would you give us eyes to see Jesus exalted and ears to hear your Holy Spirit? Lord, bring us into your purpose in our generation that we might be a part of your force to overcome evil with good. God, we thank you for your word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Speak, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I am a homeschool graduate. I, I was homeschooled and I graduated. That happened. I graduated in 1999 in a graduating class of four. And despite having a name in the J's, alphabetically, I was the bottom of my class behind B, D, and F. My graduation ceremony was quite uh, understated. There was no valedictorian. There was no final commencement speech. But in 1999, when I graduated, uh, on the top 10 list, Billboard's top 10 list was a song that was not a song. It was a spoken word song called Everyone's Free to Wear Sunscreen. And it was a commencement speech, a fictitious commencement speech that had been written two years earlier in the Chicago Tribune. And it was turned into a kind of a pop culture remake of a 1992 song called Everybody's Free. And the original article was called, Advice Like Youth Probably Just Wasted on the Young. And it started this way. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists. Whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience, I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they've faded. But trust me, in 20 years, you'll look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much the possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You're not as fat as you imagine. Do one thing every day that scares you, saying, don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. (laughs) Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. The race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember the compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. I like this. Dance. Even if you have nowhere to do it but your own living room. Read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Get to know your parents. You never know when they'll be gone for good. Be nice to your siblings. They're the best link to your past and the people most likely to stick with you in the future. Understand that friends come and go, but a precious few who should hold on. Work hard to bridge the gaps in geography and lifestyle, for as the older you get, the more you need the people you knew when you were young. Live in New York City once, but leave before it makes you hard. but you never know when either one might run out. Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. <laughs> be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. And the song concludes this way Advice is a form of nostalgia, dispensing it a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts and recycling it for more than it's worth. But seriously, trust me on the sunscreen. (laughs) When I read Romans chapter 12, I can't help but think about everyone's free to wear sunscreen. They both look to the past with a certain perspective and they both detail in bullet fashion things that ought to be good advice. Don't forget to wear sunscreen ends with somewhat of a dismal take on advice and the fact that it's ineffective. But... Romans chapter 12 has the potential of changing your life and through you the lives of those around you. I wanna talk to you today from Romans 12 in a sermon entitled, The Power of a Cosmetic Perspective. The Power of a Cosmic Perspective. I was gonna use the word eternal and I decided not to. I thought if I used the word eternal, it would be too churchy and some of you would look at your phones instead. The power of a cosmic perspective grabs us by the shoulders and asks us not just to look into the distant future, but all around us into a world so much bigger than us. And this is what this passage of scripture in four unequal parts does. Summarize each of these four parts with one word, and I want to go through them with you with the time that we have together. The first section is verses one and two, and I call this potential. Somebody say potential. Potential. Your life is more important than you can possibly imagine. That is the message of verses 1 and 2. Your life is more important than you can possibly imagine. Listen to the strength of this appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god this is your spiritual worship here the apostle paul juxtaposes what is spiritual and what is physical much like the 21st century the first century in rome was fixated on two realities a spiritual reality and a physical reality In their Gnosticism, they imagined a religion in which you could be all in your head and be right, but have no connection to what you do in your decisions or with your actual bodies. And here, the Apostle Paul, at the end of a long treatise on the reality of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished connects our faith With our physical being. And so he urges his hearers, he urges brothers and sisters throughout the ages, by the mercies of God, to present your entire self, body and all, to the service of God as an act of worship. Listen, we live in an age where this this, this, uh, this subtle and yet pervasive lie gets in the minds of Christian people all over the place. We imagine faith as being a mental ascent to a set of religious beliefs that will in some way benefit us when we die but in no way have any bearing on the way we live our lives today. And unfortunately, there's people even present in this service whose lives are indistinguishable from their non-Christian neighbors. And the only hope they have is what will happen to them when they stand before God and pass some kind of quiz. But that faith is foreign to Paul. It's foreign to the Bible. And this is not what God is calling you into. He wants you all in your heart, soul, mind, strength, and he's asking you to present your whole body as worship to God. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of god what is good and acceptable and perfect and now you are placed in your life looking forward making your decisions and setting your course and what you recognize you need is not conformity to external pressures but instead the renewal of your mind through truth that turns into transformity of growing into what God has called you to become. Let me see if I can explain this. We live in a world just like the ancient Near East in the first century where there is incredible pressure to conform. Have you guys looked around recently? Have you noticed that there is a non-religious religious religious system with its own set of virtues, with its own set of sanctities who is forcing itself on everyone in every way and multiple ways and you must either conform or minimally back away silently and wave a virtuous flag saying you agree with the conformity even though you refuse to be conformed? You guys paying attention? And yet the appeal of Paul is to not get involved in that process at all, but instead to have minds made up through a perspective that is cosmic in scope and divine in nature so that we might see the world as God sees it. This is why we need the power of a cosmic perspective. You are a plant, not Plato. Do you understand? If you are easily impressed, you will be easily conformed. But God is calling you to be renewed and therefore transformed. And so... Potential, your life is more important than you can possibly imagine. When you line up your body and your life with God's purpose, what you can accomplish for God and with God is hard to calculate. And the church of the 21st century needs people who understand this and you are all in. Can I get amen? amen? And so your life is more important than you can possibly imagine. Now, let me take you down a notch. Somebody say humility. You are less important than you probably think. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Here where the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, every one of you is unique, and every one of you is special but you are also purposefully limited so that you can complement the others and you will form in humility a beautiful interdependence. Isn't this amazing? He says, listen, you have some amazing attributes. You have some amazing spiritual gifts and the world needs the you that God gifted to the world. But you are not everything in and of yourself, and you are dependent upon those around you. And so you've got to see yourself as one small part of a greater whole that has one unified mission. And so you are not the body, you are a body part. But the body working together fulfills the purpose of God in our generation. And do you see the wonderful, humbling effect that has on us? We're able to honor the things that God gave us that are ours. We're able to value those people in front of us who are different than we are, and we're able to live in a beautiful, love-centric interdependence. Paul here goes on to list seven of many, not a comprehensive list, but seven different kinds of gifts according to different graces that God has given. And the phrase here emphatically is, "'Let us use them.'" And so we respond to who God is and what God has done. We offer our whole bodies. We recognize the gifts he's given us. And then we offer those gifts in service to him and others. Isn't that beautiful? Now, here's a disclaimer, though. Here's a disclaimer. In Romans, if you've read up to this point, Paul makes this long treatise about the law and what to do with the law. That the law itself actually reveals the nature and existence of God because he's given this moral law. And that this is the law by which people will be judged. But no one can be justified or declared righteous by keeping the law because the law just reveals the fact that we're all broken. This is the Jesse version of Romans chapter three. You can read it for yourselves later. And so he says, listen, the law is good because it reveals what is good and what is evil. And there's a lot of people in our society and you will have this in, encounter if you engage with your faith with non-believers at some point. Someone will object to the existence of a good God and they will look to the evidence of evil in the world as their justification for disbelief. Have any of you ever experienced that? How could a good God allow such great evil? Have you ever had this conversation? Now the answer to this is very, very, very simple. In fact, it's already been handed to you. All you have to do with a, in a situation like that is to is to recognize that we're talking about evil. So you are acknowledging that this is evil. And therefore, conversely, you're acknowledging that the opposite of that would be good. And now we have a definition of both good and evil, right? So the question becomes, where did those definitions come from? Did it come from you? Are you the arbiter of good and evil? Did it come from us? Did we all Have some social agreement that decides what is good and evil? And if that's the case, then in either instance, could that not just change? Or are you not recognizing in yourself an awareness that you are made in the image of God and he has imprinted good and evil in your heart because all of this came from him? Do you see this? In fact, the presence of evil in the world, more importantly, someone's ability to recognize it as evil, is great evidence that God is real, isn't it? And so this is, this is the world in, in which we live. And so we have to recognize before that we don't try to justify ourselves before God through the law, that's called legalism. That's where we go, okay, God tells me all the things that are good, I'll be good, and therefore I will be accepted because I am good. That does not work, why? Because everyone is broken and no one can do that and you're not fooling anyone, we see right through you. Right? But there's this other danger, it's this danger of what I would call utilitarian legalism. And this is where you recognize that God made you special and he loves you very much. And then you do the things that God made you to do in anticipation or expectation that as you do good things, God is going to love you more or accept you on the basis of you doing those things. And that is the exact problem that Romans starts off to address as it relates to the law and we can do the same thing I'm doing the things I'm 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 giving and I'm I'm serving and I'm getting up early and going to bed late and I'm saying nice things and I'm having self-control and I'm doing all the things and then you look to God and this is a person who's about to pop we see you because you can't keep this up can you And it never actually ends up doing anything because no human being is justified by works of any law or any series of to-dos only through the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus. That's where it comes from, amen? And so you gotta watch out for that warning also. But once you are his in humility, it's okay to recognize the value of who God's made you to be and what he's given you and how he wants you to give that to other people. And so do the thing God made you to do and do it well as you present your body as a sacrifice. So potential, number one. Humility, number two. Number three, love. Somebody say love. This is where it starts to get moving. Verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. The, the artist grabbed a hold of that, like, Take care of your siblings, remember your siblings, why? Because there's an affection there that's enduring. And the Apostle Paul is saying you should love other Christians like that. We're brothers and we're sisters. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. And I love this, because there's this competitiveness that's put into this whole thing about love. And it makes me think about the fact that the real power is not in you getting your way. That's what godlessness leads to. I will be happy when, and you describe the world as you'd like it to be, and you work towards that world becoming, and you manipulate the people around you, and that's your aim. That's when I'll be happy. No, you will never get power enough to make you whole and happy. But if you receive this good news that God's giving you and then you present yourself to him and in humility, love other people, the real power is in your willingness to win at love. That's where you start to see the real power. When you're trying to outdo other people in showing them love and honor. I'm the second of seven. Any big family people in the house today? I'm number two of seven. Yep, some big family people. Um, Being second in line is the worst. Some of you are like, no, the middle's the worst. No, it isn't. You got left at the grocery store four times, get over it, okay? Being second is the worst. You know why? Because when you're second, you have all the responsibility of the oldest with none of the privilege. Isn't that what happens? As you can see, I've gotten over it. I'm very, I'm not bitter at all. So when you're the second, and and this is most, most early, you start to recognize this as a second in line when you never get the front seat. You know what I'm talking about? You're going somewhere and the front seat is open because there's one adult involved and you don't get the front seat because the oldest gets the front seat, you know? And, and every family has to navigate the front seat. Watch this happen. You can remember with your children, you can watch it with your grandchildren. Everybody's always navigating for the scarcity mentality of there's one front seat and there's five of us. How are we gonna manage this? And so my kids are doing this thing now where they're like negotiating the front seat. And I'm just watching this happen. I'm not even getting involved. They do this thing where like, I, you rode in the front seat from home to church, and then I'm gonna ride in the front seat from church to Chick-fil-A, and then you get the front seat from Chick-fil-A to Target, but we don't really shop at Target right now. And so we go from Chick-fil-A back to the house, and so they're navigating and negotiating this compromise of who gets the front seat and when, and then who had it last. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they don't know the secret. I know the secret because I grew up with shotgun. Remember shotgun? Shotgun. It doesn't matter. If you call shotgun, that front seat belongs to you. You know what I'm saying? Mine, forget it. There's no negotiating, there's no compromise. I knew we were leaving first, I called shotgun, Boo-yow. That's how it went down growing up in the Jarvis household, right? I'll never forget, though, there was this other family that we went to church with. They were so godly, their, their kids were so godly. I mean, it, it, it kind of would make you nauseous. These middle school and high school students, I can remember being in the church parking lot and the brother and sister are very close in age, and she was like, you sit in the front seat. I sat in the front seat on the way here. Oh, no, 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 ladies first, you sit in the front seat. You always get to sit in the front seat. Your legs are longer back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody call shotgun, you know? <laughs> This is nauseating. You guys are outdoing. But the impulse here is outdoing one another and showing honor. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in any type of community or society where this was the norm? There was a competitive willingness and eagerness to win at love, to put the needs of the person in front of you ahead of your own. Those would be some awesome arguments, wouldn't they? And this is what the Apostle Paul is drawing our attention to in verses nine to 13. He's saying, you start to get this this cosmic perspective and you unlock this new power when you are recognizing that you are no longer your own, you're bought with a price and so you offer yourself in your entirety not just your thoughts but your thoughts and your actions your choices, your words to God your whole body is this living sacrifice and you recognize that you have a vital contribution to make that the world will change when you start being the you God made you to be and it won't make you arrogant because you recognize your own limitations and the need you have for the people around you and you end up in this beautiful complimentary Interdependent organism that is the church. And as we do that, now we're taking the power, and the power is love. The power is I'm going to make winning at love my game. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. You want to grow in power? Start giving your money away. I'm not kidding. Look for needs. Take a $100 bill out of your checking account and put it in your wallet and just look for someone to give it to. And then when it's gone, get another one and get another one and get another one. And watch how your heart changes. Watch how you start loving people and not money. Watch how you start having peace about the future and not anxiety. Watch what happens when you contribute to the needs of other people. The same thing goes for showing hospitality. Invite over a family with five children. You're like, I just vacuumed. Tell them to bring their dog. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Watch what happens happens when you start to use what you have to be a blessing to other people. That's where you find real life. That's where the power is. The enemy wants to stop that. He wants to push you into a form, into a mold. He wants to lock you down. And God wants to open your eyes to understand the power of a cosmic perspective. Fourth and finally, eternity. Somebody say it. Eternity. We need to learn to think cosmically and act locally. And here's how Paul jars us into that. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Why? Why would you ever bless someone who persecutes you? Why would you ever pray for them? Why would you hold back cursing? Why? Secondly, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. The Greek phrase there for associate with the lowly is be willing to do the menial task. Literally, that's what it means. That means everyone in this organization takes out the trash. Somebody say amen. Amen. Guess what? There's nothing you don't do around here. And so we get low. Why would anybody do this? It's not because this is some practice of self-enlightenment. It's because you see the world differently. You recognize that fullness and wholeness and life isn't found through clawing your way to the top and establishing justice under your own feet through lenses that you can see, but instead you live in a world that's in reference to God, that he's doing things all around us and that people who are our enemies are only locked under the spell of the enemy. And so it's not our cursing that sets things right, but it's our blessing that unlocks them. Do you understand? This gets expressed further and ends in the passage that says, Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So they're unhonorable, you be honorable. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, never. This means it is unchristian to key cars and slash tires. Somebody say amen. You ever have that driver in traffic and then you pull a park right next to him and you just happen to have a box cutter in your, in your glove compartment? Did you ever have the thought, just me? It feels real judgy in here right now, I'm gonna tell you. No vengeance. No vengeance. Why? Because that doesn't lead to anything, does it? Does it? Does it lead to justice? No. Does it lead to peace? No. Does it lead to love? No. Does it lead to transformation? But what does blessing those who curse you do? Here's where the Apostle Paul says, uses this analogy. He says, "Um, on the contrary... He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's quoting Deuteronomy. To the contrary, Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I've heard Christians say, like by doing nice things for people, it's some kind of like passive aggressive way that you get to make them suffer. That is not what this means at all. Like <laughs> you need Jesus, okay? If that's what you think, that's what you read in these words. The analogy is a burning coal on someone's head. Like if I put a burning coal on your head, what are you thinking about? The burning coal on your head. Are you thinking about your bills? Are you thinking about your grandma? Are you thinking about anything but the burning coal? No, no, no. This is what kindness in the face of evil does. It brings all the attention to the kindness. Why? Why? Because I see the world differently. Do you see the power of this cosmic perspective? We are a part of something so much bigger, so much stronger, so much longer. Verse 21 closes with this this imperative, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, the church in the 21st century in America is paralyzed because it's easier for us to run away from situations that require miraculous Holy Spirit-empowered love and go try somewhere else where it's easier. Do you know that? You can stay in Christ's church and have a problem with a person in first service and just go to third service and never see him again. Do you know that? You can have a problem with me, and instead of actually having a bold conversation where we love each other and work through it, you can go to another church 12 miles from here that's just as good as this one, and the whole thing falls apart, our relationship. Have we accomplished anything in God's cosmic purpose by doing this? This is so prevalent. We have no external pressure to hold us together, and there is a, just a tiny little minute willingness and desire for us to maintain relationship and to see ourselves as this interdependent, complementarian body that God sees us as. But the power of a cosmic perspective pushes people together and it causes us to love each other through the most difficult things. Isn't this beautiful? And the problem's not other people, the problem's on the inside of us. It reminds me of the story about a man who was rescued off a desert island after five years. And his rescuers get him off the island and he's tattered and he's on this boat and they're leaving the island and he's looking back nostalgically at at the island and the rescuer says to the man, what are these three buildings that you have set up here on this island? And he said, well, that, that first one there is my house. And that one on the end there, that's my church. And he says, well, what's that one in the middle? He goes, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> you know? It's, n- it's not an other people problem, is it? The problem's right in here. The question then becomes... How are you going to interact with this world? And are you going to receive this cosmic perspective? The book of Romans draws your attention unarguably to the person of Jesus, his victory, which came from humility of love to come into our world as a man, to live in love every day and to treasure relationships and people above everything else, to honor God's will and daily to offer his body as a, sacrifice holy and acceptable to God to the point of death that in him we might receive forgiveness for our sins. And in his death, he bore away the wrath of God and all righteous fury so that one day when we stand before God, there will not be vengeance on our heads for our misdeeds, but instead righteousness from God by faith. This is salvation and this is the perspective that ought to influence every single choice we make every way we view ourselves, every interaction with every other person. And this is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to in Romans chapter 12. Recognize your potential. Walk in this humility. Be eager to win at love. And brothers and sisters, let us be mindful of eternity as we think cosmically and act locally. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? And this is the invitation for all of us. And I would only add to this Believe me about the sunscreen. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it does have the power to transform, to renew our minds, to make us new in our thinking. God, I just thank you that every day when we wake up, we wake up to new mercies. We wake up to a loving, forgiving father who's eager to walk with us and work with us, who has given us himself by the Holy Spirit to fill us, to strengthen us, to direct us, and to help us to determine and discern your will in the world. God, I pray that we would be a people with this powerful cosmic perspective. God, I pray that we would recognize the incredible potential that our lives have for your kingdom purposes, that we would present ourselves as a living sacrifice, our whole bodies, our whole minds. God, I do pray that we would embody humility, recognizing our many limitations, but also acknowledging that you have given us gifts that are meant to be used. And I pray we would all bring our gifts to the table. Lord, that the body of Christ would be active in fulfilling her mission in the world. God, we're so grateful that the center of all of this is your love. And that's what you've poured into our spirit by your Holy Spirit that's been given to us. God, I pray that we would be a people characterized by love, forbearance, kindness, patience, generosity, and hospitality. And Lord, I pray that every day, we would wake up to a new day with you. God, I just confess, when I, when I wake up, my first thought is caffeine, and I just wanna wake up recognizing my need for you every day. And so will you, will you help us? As we respond to this appeal, Lord, will you fix our eyes on Jesus and help us to be who you've made us to be? And it's in his mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, and if you're here today and this is all new to you and you don't have a relationship with God, you haven't received his gift of righteousness through faith in Christ, this is an offer for you. And I don't want you to leave today without receiving everything that God wants to give you. It will change your life forever. If you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus already, raise your hand and say amen. And if you haven't done that yet, our prayer teams are gonna be right here and they'd love to just pray with you and lead you in a prayer of repentance. We'd love to help you take next step in your journey with Jesus, amen? God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being with us. We look forward to seeing you next week. We've got a big announcement next week, so make sure you're here, all right? God bless you guys.